so in the very back of this mine, there's this elevator shaft and, you know, we look down into the abyss and there's just absolutely nothing. And so we take a rock and we throw it down into this elevator shaft, which, you know, being on a hundred year old mine, elevator shaft consisted of a flipping hole. It's a hole that just disappears into the abyss. There's no special railing around it or anything. There is a slant to it. They didn't go straight down. It was like a slide. A slight, a slight, slight slant. Yeah, and the cable, the cable was still there. Yeah, cable's still there. Welcome back to the What We Learned podcast. Today, I have my brother over here for Thanksgiving. And so we decided to sit down and do a podcast episode. Originally, I was thinking, oh, maybe we should do his backstory. And he's got a pretty crazy backstory. But you know what? He just did his backstory a couple days ago on his podcast, the Simply Overcoming podcast. So if you want to hear his pretty crazy, uh, you know, shooting himself story and all the all the fun, fun stuff, <laughs> climbing, climbing mountains and PCT and all that kind of stuff, go check out his podcast, the Simply Overcoming podcast. Uh, you can get it at AaronTravelsWorld.com or wherever you can find said podcasts yes and you do sound hot do i sound hot maybe i need to move my mic closer you're saying i'm too loud a little bit okay i don't know you sound really good on my end i almost feel like i can hear you better than i can hear me and you can hear me better than i can hear you it's quite odd that is odd how are you doing man I, you know, Bro. living the dream. I'm not driving right now. I'm home for Thanksgiving, so. We're going to have to do a little bit of walking to burn off Thanksgiving dinner yes, from yesterday. Yes. Yes, it was it was great. feel like I gained some pounds, some poundage. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, hey, maybe we should go do some stories about us back and forth. So. I agree. Us growing up. Um, man, I still, hang on. Are you getting paranoid with the audio? To be honest with you, I let it, when I was, when I was recording with Jerry, it was jumping about halfway up. How does it jump when you're recording with it? About halfway up. I just. Okay. Yeah. I just never know if a compressor is enough to do it. Yeah, I know. I get paranoid about that too. Cause compressor only works so well. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man, we're sitting out here in the chicken coop turned into a editing bay for the studio here on my parents' property. <laughs> yeah. We're in a square box. We are in a square box. It's quite cozy. We've got a heater going. This place holds heat quite well. It's it's really nice. There's a desk here. There's a 72-inch TV. Don't come out here to see if that's true. I just realized I don't want to tell people that there's a 72 inch in case somebody wants to come and steal her. There's not a 72 inch, by the way. Oh, wait, what is this? I think it's maybe a 42. (laughs) (laughs) Got my estimations off. When was the last time I played games on a 72 inch? Did you ever have a 72 or was that Jeff? uh, Kendall Kendall has a 72. I think he has a 70 inch. I have... I have had 43s and 47s. Jeff had that 72 that he purchased. I think it might have been a, I think it might have been a 55. No, dude, it was remember <laughs> it was it was the biggest TV that he could buy on a stand of that size. 
It was huge. Remember, he had it for a while. We watched movies on it. We went over and had game nights. Yeah. I don't know whatever happened to that TV. It might still be over there. I don't know. It's been a while. I wish I had it, but that was cool. (laughs) You have a, what's your screen size? (laughs) Um, something. Dude, I don't know what my screen size is. It's actually a monitor. We just, we watch, we consume content on my computer monitor that I edit on every day. Yeah, and it's like, uh, it's wider though. Yeah, it's an ultra wide. So, um, ultra wide, nice for editing. The timeline, you got that nice, long, sleek timeline. I absolutely love the the ultra wide. Now, the new thing that people are getting into is the whole ultra wide curved, which I would love to try just for the heck of it, but... I am pretty sure that the hype is probably overdone. A curved monitor, come on. Like, I'll take the wide. I don't need <laughs> don't need the curved. And the problem with the curved is you have to be sitting in just the right spot. If somebody comes in, if you have a client that comes in and you're like, all right, let's go through this together. Unless they're sitting right where you are, it's going to look wrong. Yeah. That's you, the problem with the ultra wide. And also... Curved. And also with a curved monitor, I mean, I feel like I'd just be OCDing the whole time. Like, how's the taskbar, like, flat? Like, where is everything gonna? Yeah, I don't know. I've never played with one, so I have no idea. It doesn't feel like it would be very square. It doesn't seem right. It's wrong. And they're going away, too. I don't think they're as popular as people say they are. Yeah, probably, probably the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. monitors mm-hmm. audio yeah this these are the things we worry about because i have see the thing is i listen to somebody else's podcast and it sounds great but when i start listening to my podcast it sounds terrible because i can hear every little tiny problem with it that i needed to fix or go back and fix or... you definitely overthink your own content you always are going to overthink your own content you show your podcast to anybody else they're not going to notice what you are noticing yeah so you just got to remember that, you know, don't, don't overthink it too much. And quality is good. I mean, it needs to be halfway decent so that it's easy to listen to. If it's difficult to listen to, people won't listen to it. But um, as far as like extremely high quality goes, take it or leave it. What's really important is the content and quality can continue to, to grow and become um, better. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> so where should we take this? I feel like we just, I, I'd like to take it in a direction. I'd like to talk about our boss from the past, Mike, and discuss um, growing up and working with him and what that was like. A little curious about your input on it. I know I talked about that on my podcast, the Simply Overcoming podcast. And it was my point of view. I was talking about me a lot. You know, I mentioned that we worked there together, but I want to hear what it was like for you to work for Mike. It was great. Uh, stop, stop saying the last name. We're trying, I'm trying to keep it somewhat uh, anonymous. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, no, it was a great experience. Um, ups and downs, but it was like one of the best experiences of my life. It really shaped my life and I know it shaped your life. Um, well, we didn't always get along. No, not at all. Of course (laughs) not. No. Why would we? Yeah. Yeah. Brothers getting along isn't really a thing. No, especially when you're that young. Yeah. You know, we, I, I just remember having like stick fights in the woods, hitting each other with branches. And then Mike would just, uh, 
turn us off and he'd look over at us and he'd be like, knock it off. <laughs> and then we'd feel really bad and we'd feel embarrassed and then we would stop fighting. Yeah. Yeah. But we would still hold a grudge and we would fight later at my parents' house because <laughs> like we could just hold off till we got home. Yeah. Yeah. And not talk to each other after we got back. Yeah. 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 It was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. So yeah, we, we first met Mike, um, on the mountain behind my parents' place. I was probably 10 years old at the time and Jeffrey would have been 12 and we were riding our bikes on the mountain. I don't know. We were up there doing like a 12 or 14 mile bike trip. Bike ride. As, you, as you do by yourself. Yeah. And it was actually in the springtime. So there was still snow on the ground. So we actually ended up pushing our bikes a lot of the way, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but we ran into Mike along the road. This guy walks up to us and he just looks like this hardcore mountain man with like a look of disbelief on his face that we're up there. And we started talking to him and he knew right away that we were homeschooled because we could have a conversation with an adult. And I hear this all the time, oftentimes. Um, kids who are homeschooled can have good conversations with adults, but they're not as good with interacting with kids their own age. And that's exactly how it was for me. I, I could always have a mature conversation with an adult, but I could never get on the level of a young person of my age. So anyway, that was just kind yeah. of a funny thing. And um, I still get that today. I feel completely disconnected from my generation. Yeah, no, me too. I, I can't even relate to them whatsoever. And um, I try, but I just I just can't. But uh, anyway, I mean, it was only later. I think it was the next summer that we actually started working for Mike. I was 11 when we started working for him. Jeffrey was 13, would have been. And how that came about is Mike is a piano teacher I'm sorry, Mike is a piano tuner, rather. And so we had been given a piano that needed some work done on it, an old player piano that sat in a bar back in the in the late 1800s. And so we needed to have some work done on it. We found out that Mike was a piano tuner. And so he came up here, and the, and the dots were connected, and come to find out, the guy that we had run into on the mountain was the guy that came to tune the piano. And that was the time that he talked to our parents about hiring us in the summer to come and work for him. Yeah. And he, it was funny too, because he did know, he knows everybody. He knows a lot of people because when we were talking to him up on the mountain, the first time we met him, we found out, oh, he knows the people from our church because he tunes their piano and he was listing off people that we knew. So he knows a lot of people around the area. Um, and yeah, then he talked to dad about getting us to come and work for him and yeah we we got to experience i want to say six or seven summers of working for him yeah yeah we did um i was probably working for him every summer up until 18 and even after that i've done small projects for him um but yeah we were logging with him he owns 365 acres up on the mountain and every year he would hire young people to go up and work with him in the summer and um, he would do between four and maybe eight log truck loads every single year and that was it it was a small operation but um, yeah I don't know I don't know how much I don't think Mike really made a whole lot of money doing this 
I'm sure he made something, but it couldn't have been that much. It was more to clean the woods and also to be a mentor to the next generation. Mike was a grade school teacher before he um, started doing the logging thing in the summer. And so, well, he was probably doing all of it. But anyway, he was a he was a grade school teacher for for many years. And so he had a passion. He has a passion for reaching the the youth, the young people and teaching them how to work. And that's exactly what Mike did. He taught us how to work. We were at that age, me being 11, Jeffrey being 13, we were up there working eight hour days, four days a week. And obviously there were days like myself, I remember taking off early because I was tired or whatnot. Yeah. But overall, like we were, we were working some really hardcore hours, um, for that age. And, um, but we didn't want to let Mike down. Right. We just, yeah. Letting Mike down, it would, it would be a lot easier to like, let your, let your dad down if, if, if you didn't feel like working with him anymore, but this guy was somebody we didn't know. And so we really respected his opinion on us and we didn't want to be, to be quitting and going home early and all that stuff. So it taught us to work even when we didn't feel like working, which is a big problem in our society today. I believe the youth are not taught to stick at something, even if they don't like it. They're not taught to grind. They're not taught to grind. There's a, they're just, there's, there's, they have no good reason to stick around and keep working. They're not good at looking into the future, looking at the long game. They want instant gratification. They want it right now, you know? And so if they go and get a job making a crazy amount of money flipping burgers, like $14, $16 an hour flipping burgers, which is just ridiculous that, that you can make that much flipping burgers they're upset because they des- they think they deserve $25 an hour, right? They always think that they deserve more instead of realizing that this is just a step to continue getting to the top. Listen, if you work at McDonald's, if you work at a place like this, I don't think going and working at a fast p- food place, I don't think it was ever supposed to be a full-on lifelong career, in my opinion, right? It's a stepping stone for all youth. I mean, that's, you you don't go and work at a place like that forever unless you're the manager. If you're the manager of a place like that, then yes, you probably get paid more and you could make that your career. But you don't just stay in that one place and flip burgers the whole time. The idea is for you to grow and to expand. And so for you to think that you can go and, and get paid $14 an hour to flip burgers, and then you expect after being there for five years to be getting paid $25 an hour, you are absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both skipped that portion of our life because we jumped right into logging. We never, we never did fast food. Yeah. I mean, we, we never did fast food. We never worked in stores. I mean, I know not every, not everybody goes through that phase in their life, but I'm 13, 14 years old up on the mountain and Mike hands me a chainsaw and he's like, go at it. Don't cut yourself. Right. So we're, we're really young, 13, 14, and we're, running chainsaws we're driving the um we're driving the bulldozer around the mountain yeah i mean it it went pretty slow it went pretty yeah it went pretty slow the dozer was actually like safer than driving the pickup around right because the roads are so steep up there on his property that driving his truck was like very sketchy in fact the the day that mike threw me the truck keys i don't know i was probably 13 years old or 
something of that nature, and the truck was parked on this really steep hill that was even hard to walk on, right? It's so steep that it's hard to actually walk on. He throws me the truck keys, and he goes, all right, Aaron, I'm walking to the cabin, wait five minutes, and then you drive to the cabin. He goes, I don't want to be around for this, so <laughs> wait five minutes. Because he didn't want... He didn't want to be there if I crashed the truck, Yeah, right? He didn't want to want to have to deal with that. So yeah, we learned a lot of life lessons up there on the mountain. I know I did. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I feel like we probably had similar experiences, but we may have come out with different, with different thoughts from it. What, what, how do you feel about the times that we spent on the mountain with Mike and how that has affected your life now, Jeffrey? Um, it's been a huge effect on me, you know? Um, we had younger siblings that went through the same experience and I don't think they came out near with what we came out of, out of that experience. You know, we walked away and the only reason we moved on is, you know, it was a summer job and eventually you have to grow up and you have to get full-time, full-time employment. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's strange to me that we came out with such different, I mean, where we are today, I would have never imagined where we are today versus, versus back then. I mean, we, we got so excited. I mean, do you remember the first time we got a check from him? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, I don't even, I don't, it's hard. It's hard to say because whatever he was paying us and I can't remember exactly what it was, he raised it after the first week. Yeah, and he didn't tell us that he was going to raise it. And so when he handed us that first check, and we kind of assumed that we were going to be getting a certain amount, and he handed us that first check, I know that my check, I think, was just over 100. You were like 160 or something of that nature. But we took those checks, and as we always did, we folded them up and put them in our back pocket. Yeah, that was and, something we were taught Yeah, that's early something on. He we said, were don't... He told us, don't ever look at the check. You fold it. You trust the person enough that whatever they wrote on the check is going to be good enough. And you fold it and you put it in your back pocket and you check it later. <laughs> to, to this day, that's how I do it, man. With all of my clients, if somebody hands me a check, I don't look at it in front of them. I put it in my pocket and trust them and I leave. <laughs> now, now, just because we did that, we definitely rode down the, <laughs> drove down the road on our motorcycles and stopped part of the way home to check where they were. We did that. Oh, at least the first time. Yeah, and I remember doing that a few times. A and we few got other times as well. We got super excited about it because this was he would pay us weekly, and whatever the amount was for sure, because I can't. It might have been one hundred and sixty. I, I can't remember for sure, but whatever it was was the most amount of money that we'd ever seen at one time, just written on a check. <laughs> you yeah, know, that and was... we got super excited and came home, and our other siblings were very upset because. We were all jumping around like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. We have to go to work. We got to work more. Like, we did want to go up there. Like Capitalism. That was our first real experience with capitalism, which is funny because we grew up working in the cabinet shop even at a young age. My dad owns a cabinet shop. And so we worked in the cabinet shop as long as I could ever remember when we were very young, if we could carry a piece of wood, we were out in the cabinet shop working, Yeah. but we had never actually been handed the money ourselves weekly, weekly, weekly for sure, weekly or whatever. Like money was never handed to us. It was maybe like 
put into like an account for us or something by our parents. But when we were handed that money, it was absolutely mind blowing. And that was our first experience with, Hey, when we work, this is what we get out of it. And we can, and, and, and the more we work, the more we get out of it. Like it is our destiny. We can, we can decide yeah. how much money we want to make. Yeah. And so people thinking, Oh, they were forced into it. No, no. We weren't for you couldn't pull us away from it. We could have quit at any time. And we did go we did go to a summer camp usually once a year. Um, but besides that, we were just like we're down for it because we what's crazy about it is I mean, it, it was obviously an amazing opportunity because us as kids growing up, we were the richest kids in the neighborhood. Like there was no comparison. Like we didn't even know like we we basically gave up all of our summers. I mean, that, that's absolutely like, we're, you know, Monday through Friday, we're 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 working, and sometimes Sunday. Yeah, at at, at eleven, at twelve, thirteen years old, having a thousand dollars in our bank account, like it was no big deal. I mean, come on, that yeah. was like the craziest thing. We could not believe it. Yeah, yeah, compared to compared to everybody else around us that was struggling to get a job or have money or allowances like we didn't know about allowances yeah we were never given an allowance (laughs) what are you talking about oh you get to be you get money from for washing the dishes yeah you get money for (laughs) being a part of this family like what is that like it doesn't even compute and this is this is what happens nowadays is kids just get given money for work that they are that they should already be doing anyway (laughs) yeah it's crazy uh so any crazy experiences that you can think of, uh, stories from logging days? Oh man, there's tons of them. One of the stories that I remember that stuck in my mind was when um, the truck went off the road because nobody was in it. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. A- absolutely fantastic story. So we are, um, uh, oh my, what would it be called? skidding skidding logs thank you we were skidding logs behind the truck so uh jeffrey and i are behind the truck hooking up some logs with some chokers and hooking it to the truck we're not using the cat we're using the truck so we hook up these logs and mike tried to pull forward and he couldn't pull forward because there was a couple of the logs that were jammed between uh, some stumps. Yeah. And so the the logs were holding him back. So we had the PVs out. We're trying to get these logs unstuck. And Mike gets out of the truck, forgets to put the brake on because the truck is just being held there by the logs. And as he's getting out of the truck, we we loosened the logs and the logs came undone and the truck took off down the hill pulling these logs behind it at breakneck speeds yeah and it sped up very quickly and as soon as it took off mike turned and started running trying to get back in the truck and he's just screaming no no <laughs> and then the mic exploded <laughs> and uh and the truck went down the hill, I don't know, probably a good like 70 feet. Yeah. I mean, and he's he's trying to jump in the whole time because this is his this is his baby. I mean, this is the pickup truck that he bought probably brand new in the 60s, 70s. Dude. I mean, it's it's a pretty it's like a jacked up Ford that can go pretty much anywhere. It's pretty pretty <laughs> pretty elderly. So, yeah, I think what happened was he <clears throat> he tried to get in the truck, but at the 
eventually the truck was just going too fast for him to even get in. So he just stopped and we just watched it go down the hill, down the road, like 70, maybe a hundred feet. And then it veered off the road and we saw it going over. I mean, it was, it was going to go over and then it only went over the hill about like five feet and then hit a tree. Yeah. If it had not hit that tree, if it was just a little further to the left or a little further to the right, that truck would have been down the embankment and we would have been waving goodbye as it went <laughs> flying through the woods. Because it, um, it, it would have been stuck in trees probably a couple hundred feet down the hill. We'd have to drag it up with the cat. I, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe that's where it rests. Yeah. So that was that was hilarious. And then, of course, Mike started crying and he felt he felt so stupid. And he, Mike would talk to himself. He'd be like, oh, why would you do that? Why would you do that? You're so stupid, Mike. So stupid. And it was just. And and what's funny is, is afterwards he was like, I can't remember. I think it was the previous year. He's like, I was going to cut down that tree two years ago or a, like a year ago, a year before, a couple of years ago. And he said, I didn't. And I'm so glad I didn't because. <laughs> that sh- the tree saved the truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, that was a great. A, a, a pretty funny experience. Of course, when Mike was having kind of that mental breakdown after it happened, we were like, not sure what to do. We're like, oh my gosh, like what's happening here? <laughs> Mike would always like go through these spouts. He'd get like really upset. The most he'd ever do is he'd be like, crap, oh crap. And then, and then he would like calm down and he'd be like, well, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing is he was always, he would always he would always take our opinions into consideration. You know, he would, we would have a problem to solve and he would come to us more as adults than as kids and be like, Hey, how are we going to do this? How are we going to fix this? You know? Yeah. He taught us to problem solve. I mean, whether it was needing to move a log and the cat wasn't there at the time or the truck and we need to move this log but it's too heavy to pick up how are we going to move this log or a tree gets caught up while felling the tree in uh, some other trees he would ask us what we thought how we should do it and he would take our opinions into consideration and many times even if our ideas may have not been the greatest, he would still agree to do it that way. He or to would, give it a try. He would give it a try that way, even though he knew it may not work, because he was teaching us a very valuable lesson. And that lesson was, you may make mistakes. You may not, you may not have the right idea, but you should at least try it anyway, right? Just keep trying. Fail, failure is not an excuse to quit. Yeah. That is what he was teaching us all the time. I mean, the things that he taught us up there, whether he was aware of it or not, I feel like he was aware of it, but maybe some of it was just spur of the moment. Yeah, some maybe some of it was just uh he didn't really think about it. It was just kind of who he was, but I tend to think that he was he was really it was a calculated um it was a calculated uh deal. Yeah. I mean, speci- just off the top of my head like after that, tr- after the truck crashed into the, into the tree, the bumper was all messed up. And well, how are you going to fix the bumper? Well, you pull up to a stump, wrap a chain around it and back the truck up. Yeah. You know, the, I, th- I don't know what, I, I'm guessing that was like the first time we'd ever, I don't know if it's just logging as a profession or just working around Mike where things like that were a common occurrence. Like, how are we going to fix this? Well, 
hook a chain up to it and back the truck up or oh we can hook the cat up like he would talk about um pulling big trees because the cat was not that big of a cat it was like an old john deere cat but the the winch on it was insanely big for ridiculously big for the cat that winch should not have been on that (laughs) on that dozer yeah and he would talk about things like oh there were trees that were too heavy for the cat because the cat would literally get pulled off the mountain trying to pull these logs up so they would take the cat this was before us they would take the cat and back it up against another tree well, I remember him doing that a couple times, even when we were there, backing it up against a tree or up against a stump to keep the cat from getting pulled down the mountains <laughs> so that so that we could pull up some logs. And there were, what, 12 chokers on that? Was it 12 or 10? There were a lot of chokers. There were a lot of chokers. And we would like, we would set these chokers down the mountain and then pull up all of these logs all at once. And, and it was the, that, that that winch was incredible yeah i mean there were, that one job up above the upper road where all the trees went down i remember that was probably two or three or four days of just pulling logs up you that, know that would have been the second year that we were there i believe so i would have been 12 you would have been 14 and yeah there was some big windstorm like a mini tornado up on the middle of the mountain and just this one specific area all the trees came down just this huge forest and just all the trees came down in this one specific place yeah so yeah we were cleaning that out and actually as you mentioned that <clears throat> that was um that was the i got hit in the face with the cable remember that we were out setting chokers and mike pulled the cable taut and um it came up and whacked me in the face and it wasn't anything major. I think I got a, a swollen lip or something like that. But it did give me a real appreciation for the reality that was that cable could literally cut your head off if you were in the way of it. And so yeah. we were always so, so careful yeah. around that cable. So even if it snapped, we would not be in the way of the cable. Yeah. that's And I feel like, yeah, you get... You grow to have an appreciation, something that average people don't have. You grow to have a very big appreciation for, you know, stepping back when the cable's getting tight or chains. Not that a chain would break, but you don't want to be there for it. Yeah. That particular, um, I I remember that happening a couple of times where the cable would get hung up on some low stumps and you would clear, you know, we'd clear way back because when it pops, you know, your good 10 foot section, if you're standing there, it's going to take a leg off it could get you You and he he, and anytime anytime something like that would happen we'd end up i feel i just remember this we end up back at the cabin and mike gets all serious you know which doesn't happen terribly often because he's a great storyteller great joker um that's right and he would sit down and, and and be like okay getting all serious and like okay so guys this is really dangerous what we're doing up here like we need to be very careful 
Like it was, it was a safety meeting. That's so true. You know? He would have these weird safety meetings, especially after something happened, no matter how minor, even when there wasn't anything minor that happened, he would once in a while, it wasn't very often, but he would have these funny, these, these weird safety meetings where he'd get really serious and just put the fear of the Lord in us. Like, listen, like what we're doing here, that cable will chop your head off. That saw will cut your leg off. It, what we are doing is so dangerous. And he would just put that in our minds like we knew. And you know what? Out of all the years that we worked up there, I am so surprised nobody ever got seriously hurt. No. I mean, I went to the ER one time for catching the cha- catching the chainsaw, or rather catching my finger with the chainsaw, <laughs> which was like a ridiculous, like I was doing some stupid maneuver with the chainsaw. Because, you know, we're delimbing these trees with chainsaws all day long. We don't have a delimber up there. We're doing it with the chainsaws. We're going really fast. These saws are swinging around like like nunchucks. I mean, yeah. they are getting swung around, flipping two saws in one hand, <laughs> two saws in one person's hands. Like, it was get, it, it would get crazy. And we would delimb these trees in a matter of like 20 to 40 seconds. It would just be gone. So anyway, there would be some like really sketchy maneuvers and there was just that one time that I caught the tip of my finger, which never even went to the bone. I had to get some, some stitches, but there was no problem. There's a little bit of a scar, but other than that, nobody ever got seriously hurt that I can remember. We just, things just went well for us. And and it's funny because sometimes you hear people say that when you're young it, it and Mike would all, I remember Mike saying something like it would be less likely for us to hurt ourselves than an older person. And I kind of hear that because like young people, obviously like if they're joking around and being stupid, that can be dangerous. But if a young person is being serious and being careful, they're going to be able to twist and turn in different ways that an older person will not. And it seems like it may be less likely for a younger person, a kid, to hurt themselves. Not in that some he, way. not that he didn't pull off some crazy maneuvers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, on on multiple occasions, I remember Mike doing a front flip with the chainsaw <laughs> down the mountain. And I mean, mind you, the chainsaw was running. And one of the times he had that chainsaw where the chain wouldn't stop running. <laughs> That chainsaw was the worst, bro. He took it in to shop several times, tried to get it fixed. He tried to fix it himself. I'm telling you, not even the professional Husqvarna like, like technicians could figure out this flipping chainsaw. Like for some reason, these Husky Husqvarnas, like we had a couple of them like that. The chain would just always be running and we couldn't fix it and nobody else could fix it and so you'd run around with this saw with the chain always running because you couldn't completely slow it down yeah so mike would like trip do a front flip with the chainsaw in his hand (laughs) yeah remember remember the lightning strike that happened like the major lightning strike yes yeah (laughs) what happened there um so we were all up on the mountain um working on i think it was the upper road yeah and there was talks about maybe a lightning storm would be coming through so we might have to be a little careful but we hadn't heard anything or it hadn't started raining yet so no big deal so we're up there and obviously um he's a big joker about things like about everything he great storyteller 
great Joker. I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, the first time we met Mike, um, not the first time, but rather the first year that we were working with him, the first time that he like told us a story, because he's a storyteller. He actually tells stories on stage. So he's a performer. And he was telling us, hey, I got this story that I'm preparing that I'm going to be doing on stage soon. I, I'm going to maybe I can tell it to you guys and you can tell me what you think. And when he lit in to telling this story, his facial expressions, he started like screaming and shrieking. And I mean, he's not just telling a story. He is acting. Yeah. Good Lord. I thought he was a murderer. <laughs> and that went through my mind several times in the first year. I'm thinking like, what is up with this dude? Like he hires some random boys. Now we're up here. He's telling these stories and he sounds like an absolute hysteric, just crazy person. In my mind, I was thinking, when is he going to kill us and put us in a hole? Like, <laughs> this was my fantasy that was running through my 11-year-old boy mind. I'm like, this guy is definitely going to be killing us. Because <laughs> he was so good at telling stories. Yeah. So good. He would, he would like, when, when Mike's telling ghost stories, I mean, it's insane. Because he'll, we'll be out in the middle of nowhere in some old mining town. And he'll be telling this really quiet story, you know, very quietly. And then at some point in the story, he'll shriek or yell to the point where it ter like just startles you. Like, I hope there's nobody else around us camping because we freaked them out. You know, this would happen on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. So what happened with the lightning strike? So we were all up on the mountain and we heard like the loudest bang I've ever heard from lightning or thunder. And it sounded like it was right there with us. And immediately, you know, Mike's got his helmet and chainsaw running chaps and everything. And he falls down on the ground, you know, grabbing his heart, like, Oh, it got me, you know, and he's rolling around on the laying down on the ground. He's like, it got me. It struck me, you know, and he just dropped dead. <laughs> yeah. And, so for a second, we were like, oh, no. And then we we're like, oh, okay, he's, he's messing around. And we continued to work. You know, everything was fine. We didn't hear any more lightning or thunder. And then we're starting to get ready to pack up to go down for lunch to the cabin. And all of a sudden, we start smelling smoke. And we're like, where is that coming from? And we're trying to get better positions on the mountain. Because there's areas of the mountain you can kind of see the upper part of the mountain. So we're trying to get in a better position to see up on the mountain to see where the strike was or if there's an actual fire, or just a little bit of smoke. And I don't, Mike had a cell phone, but it was back at the cabin. Yeah. Mike never carried around a cell phone. Um, so I think somebody, I want to say somebody ran down. Was it me that ran down to get the cell phone? It must've been because Mike and I hopped on the four wheeler and headed up the hill and we came upon an inferno that had already turned into just a crazy, like, fast-moving forest fire very close to his land, maybe, I don't know, a quarter mile from his land. Um, and so, and it was moving in the direction of his, his land. And so we were, we were sort of freaking out. We were quite concerned. And so <clears throat> you must've gone down to get the cell phone. Yeah. That's so probably that, what happened. Yeah. So that we could call and get the, uh, fire department up there. So that was a, that was an interesting day. We, we got to fight a fire a little bit, which was funny cause we're up there. 
We're up there with a bunch of firefighters who, by the way, didn't drive the roads up the mountain. Yeah. They climbed the mountain from the opposite side and dropped down where the fire was. I mean, absolutely crazy what they did. When I when they first showed up and they were hiking down the mountain, my immediate thought was they they sent smoke jumpers? That doesn't make any sense. Because they were hiking over the mountain... Like they were hiking down the mountain and I, I, it did not compute in my mind. Middle of nowhere. They should not have been hiking down the mountain. And yet here they are hiking down the mountain to fight this forest fire. Of course, they show up and the first thing they do is sit down on a log and have their lunch. <laughs> so they're sitting on a log, having their lunch, watching the fire burn. And this like this, uh, this 14 year old and 16 year old and this Mike fella we are down there fighting the fire by ourselves trying to keep the fire from getting on his land and the firefighters are just standing there waiting for the truck to get there it was it it was uh it we were a little like taken back from it we're like oh here's the heroes and now they're like having lunch and we didn't want the fire to get on mike's property because he has he does select logging versus what this other company does next to him. And so strip logging. Yeah. And yeah. leaving and leaving a mess. Cause that's what and it leaving was, a, mess. Was a mess. But if it got into Mike's property, there was in the area that it was at, there was a lot of standing trees and it could just hit those trees as dry as they were. And then just jump from tree to tree and just start burning up high, which would be a real big problem. It was, we had this unique opportunity that where it was burning, at least it was just burning low to the ground. You know, there was very few trees that were actually being burned up high. There were some, but a lot of it was just down low. So we had that unique opportunity of like keeping it down. And so we were trying to keep it off of Mike's property. We're cutting this trail out, trying to keep it from jumping to his property. And the fire department's there having their lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, there was, they had... Mike got concerned that it was going to be bigger than it was, than it turned out to be. And so he called the guys that had previously worked for him to come out. And so t- those two guys showed up, which one of them was a professional sawyer and did a lot of great work before yeah. he had his accident. And like this guy was like so much beyond what we were. I mean, we know how to fell trees and do logging and whatnot but these guys were insane like yeah so anyway the fire truck showed up they ran some hoses which i don't know they used very much they cut a line i think honestly there was no more than a couple acres that were burned and it was contained um but but anyway it was it was an interesting experience we were up there fighting fires with all of these firefighters like I, it's funny because we were, I was walking down the fire line that the firefighters had created and I'm like, how can I help? And I'm like a 14 year old kid (laughs) and the fire chief is like, put off, put like, he's like, he just wants us to get lost, right? We're just kids. Well, we're like, we are definitely going to help. So I went back to Mike and the, and 
He's like, Mike, he said he doesn't need my help, need our help. And he's like, oh, no. And he handed me a pick and he's like, you go help. And so I was on the fire line digging, helping to dig the fire line with all these firefighters at 14 years old. Yeah. Against against the fire chief's um, regulations regulations or advice like, no, we got this. You can go away now. (laughs) Well, speaking of regulations, um, they had this larger firefighter fighting or cutting trees with a chainsaw. And I, I don't know if he'd ever run a chainsaw in his life or he didn't understand how a chainsaw worked. It was it was pretty pathetic, and he 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 was getting the chain stuck on like just some little leaf trees, just just like garbage leaf trees, and he was he was sweating like he was dying, and and Mike walked up walked up to him and said, "Hey man, you know my," because he'd called the other guys in. He's like, "Hey man, what is the? We've got a blanket in here. Is it coming down? No, no, it's good, man. It hasn't moved. Okay. Um." He, he told him, hey, we got a professional sawyer here. He's really good at sawing. You know, he can get your sa- chainsaw loose and everything and, you know, help you out. And the guy was like, no, no, I got this. It's regulation. I have to do this. And so we watched him just struggle the entire time. Well, there was like four firefighters giving him advice. There's like four firefighters like standing there trying to help him cut a tree down. And it was embarrassing. It was like, <laughs> my gosh, like you guys have to be better at cutting trees down. This is what you guys do for a living. You fight these fires and you can't even cut this tree down. It must have been like a volunteer fire. Um, I don't know. It must have been volunteer fire because it seemed... It seemed like it was strange that out of all of those guys, he was the best with a chainsaw and he could barely even work the chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and of course, um, later on during the fire, we got to experience being underneath the helicopter that was coming and dropping water, which is a pretty unique experience. Couldn't be right under it because they were all, they were very worried that there were going to be branches coming down out of the trees, but... Uh, we still got soaked from it. It was it was great. It was great. It was a great adventure. And yeah, we we got out of it alive, and none of Mike's land burned, and it was it was great. It was good. Anyway, that was a funny time. Anyway, Mike Mike uh, taught us a lot that we've used in our future. You know, one of those things being that I run my own company now, and I'm able to work out of my apartment on my own. And I don't have to have somebody there telling me what to do. There's a lot of people out there that cannot work without having somebody there with a whip. Yeah. You know, trying to keep them keep them moving. So, you know, we've learned how to work on our own. And I know that's going to take us a lot of places. But um yeah, so and Mike used to take us camping too. We used to do a lot of camping with Mike. Yes. Yeah. Where do we want to take that? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, because we, we have a lot of crazy stories there too. We do. Yeah. We spent a lot of time in, um, Canada with Mike. We would always go to Canada and should we, maybe we should omit the name of the places. Yeah, probably. So there's a <laughs> lot of people that are learning about these places, but not a whole lot of people up there yet. Yeah, people I mean, don't know about it, but there's some places that we've been to that are like, they're like Banff in in Canada, 
except there's no people there. It's just it's, better, better than Banff. It's incredible. It's mind, it's mind blowing how beautiful it is. And there's not a living soul up there. You, you might run into like one or two people, but overall there's no people. Nobody knows about it except yeah. for a few locals. Yeah. Um, we did, um, I'm trying to remember what our first backpacking trip with Mike, I, I think, did we do been, backpacking first? Yeah. It was Joker Lakes. It would have been Joker Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have, um, like we did camping growing up, but Mike, we'd never been backpacking. So Mike took us on our first backpacking trip, um, which was probably one of the worst. Like it was a trail that hadn't been main- maintained for what, like 20 years. Yeah. Well, I think it was, yeah, close to 20 years. They closed down the trail originally because there was so much grizzly bear activity. That's what they said. Apparently, yeah, they were running into problems, and so they shut the trail down. They stopped maintaining it. So we came in there, you know, 17, I think it was more like 17 years from when they had shut the trail down. And other than, you know, maybe a person going through and trying to hack some stuff down on their own, the trail was completely overgrown. We lost it multiple times on the way up. I think it was four miles up to the lakes. And it took us like five hours because we were just like just floundering, crawling and... through the through underbrush and pushing our way and losing the trail and having to cross this big, big um, creek slash river <laughs> cascading down the mountain. And, um, but incredibly beautiful place. Never ran into any grizzly bears. We saw a grizzly bear track, if you remember. Yeah. And which is kind of crazy. And we saw a whole lot of scat, but that was about it. We didn't see any grizzly bears, but yeah. Yeah. That place was amazing. The unique thing about Joker Lakes was that there's two lakes. And when you get up above, basically this is on the backside of Kokanee Glacier, if I remember correctly. Yeah. This is the, this is the backside of Kokanee Glacier. Not a lot of people know about it. So when you're up on the ridge, you can look down on Joker Lakes and there's two lakes right next to each other. And one is green and one is blue. Completely different colors. And they're... And one runs into the other. Yeah. And it's only... Like 300 feet between them. Yeah. Maybe 300 feet between them. Not very far between the two lakes. Yeah. So odd. And there was one mine shaft or a couple mine shafts up there that nothing we could get into. Oh, by the way, (laughs) he was... Mike was the one that introduced us into crawling into old mine shafts. Yeah, man, that was crazy. We would, uh, there was a place that we went to that will remain nameless. Um, and it's an old mining town. I mean, we could say it doesn't really matter the name of, there's actually two, there's actually two towns. Yeah. Um, old, old towns, um, ghost towns. But we would go up there and camp there for several days and ride a four-wheeler and a motorcycle around the mountain and find – it's a huge mining community. I mean, everywhere you look, there are mines. We could stumble – we would be stumbling through the woods and come upon a little town from the early 1900s that has not been touched since then other than maybe a few people who have stumbled upon it like us. It is crazy there everything is still original some of these places still have dishes in in the cupboard 
Yeah, it's it's amazing. So, There's a concentrator right across from where we camped. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time, you know, when we would go with him there, um, exploring old mines. One of them being around 100 years old that we crawled back into. I think we went into the pain twice. And then the third time when we went back, it was collapsed. Yeah, so... Do you want to, let's talk about that first one. Um, uh, it was a go big or go home moment because honestly, this was the biggest mine I have been in to date. Yeah. Um, it was, so like, go ahead, tell us our, our experience. I mean, we're, we're really young. I have a picture of us sitting in front of the mine. I'm 12, I'm 12 years old at the time. Cause it wasn't the first year that we worked for Mike. It was the second that we went there. It was you and I, and it was Mike, and Mike had these old lights that we would wear on our heads with wires that would go down to a battery pack that we would carry, these big battery packs that like strapped, we strapped on ourselves or something like that. Yeah, we had, we had waders on. It was ridiculous, Because yes. most, most of the time when you go into all these old mines, there's a lake in the first part of it. Yeah, so but these lights that we would carry with us, they they weren't very bright. It was almost impossible to see with them. So we strap this stuff on. Mike puts these waders on us, and, and we go into this mine, and it's collapsed in the entrance. So we have to crawl in and then crawl down into this water that's above the knees, far above the knees, and we're wading through this pool of water going back into this mine. Now, again, this mine is like 100 years old, so other than just like a little hand train car that went back into the back, there's not a whole lot more in there. So it's quite small until you get back there where they were, you know, following the, the veins of, um, of ore or yeah. So, um, yeah, that mine was, I don't know how far did we go back? We went back over a mile. I mean, we were in there a long time. We were in there for hours. I don't, hours. I don't know about hours. No, I, we were in there for over an over. We, it probably was over two an hour. hours. It was probably it was over close an hour. To two hours. We went back to the very back of this mine. So b- before you get there, we're heading back there, and there is, I, I don't know, probably 300, 400 feet back. There is a, um, you know, they 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 build up to hold up the stuff. You know, there's like two logs, two two trees on either side and a log going across the top. And there's water draining through this log. And the log has a bend to it. There is definitely, it's, it definitely looks like it's sagging. It's already, it was already partially collapsed. There was, there was a hump that we had to climb over and there was like two logs holding up the rest of the the material that wanted to collapse down and and yeah. cover the entrance. So we're we're going back and Mike's like, well, I don't want to. He's like, I'm not sure I want to go underneath that because what if, what if it falls while I'm going underneath it? And so he decides to go on the outside behind the support beam. So instead of going underneath the support beams, he's going behind the support beam to pass it. And we do it very carefully. You know, we're doing it very slowly and quietly, trying to not disturb anything and s- slip back there. And we do that. On the way back, though, we were just like, nah, <laughs> we're not, we're not yeah, trying to sneak. I mean, if we would have been in one of those mines and it collapsed, that would be it. There would be a zero chance of us getting found. That would be it. We'd be done. Well, 
unless we could dig our way out. We could we go to go. another level. That's the, that's the other thing. We would never go into mines that we could not feel a, a strong breeze coming out of. If you feel a strong breeze coming out of a mine, you know that there is another entrance somewhere. And so we had the equipment. We would be able to get ourselves to a different level because there's different levels. Every hundred feet, there's a new level that goes in. And a lot of these mines will have like, I don't know, seven to 12 levels, a lot of levels. And I think the pain had quite a few other levels. We've only been into one. We don't even know where the other ones are, but we know that they exist somewhere on the mountain. Yeah. But all the roads are probably overgrown to get there. But, um, you know, the newer mines, how you can get from level to level is... A, uh, you know, if you're not taking an elevator or something, there are ladders, but every like 15 or 20 feet, there's an offset. There's like, so, I, think, I think 10 feet, a lot of them. So it, yeah, so it offsets and then you climb up and then it offsets. So if you have, if you fall, you only fall 10, 15 feet onto the offset, which is a really smart idea. Well, back, you know, in these mines that are a hundred years old, the only way that they were able to all they did was they would just put in a ladder that's a hundred feet tall, straight up. Yeah. You flash a flashlight up there. You cannot see the top. It is a ladder as far as the eye can see way up into the darkness of these mines. And we never really climbed up any of them because I mean, they're made out of wood. What are the chances that they are going to collapse? I know Mike climbed a few in his day, but a lot of these mines are getting a lot older than when he was going in them in, in like the, the eighties and nineties. And so, um, so when we were there, it was like we were trying to stay off the ladders, but yeah, he, he had this theory that, well, if it hasn't collapsed in a hundred years, I mean, what's, what's the chances it's going to collapse, you know, during the 30 or 40 minutes we're in there. And there are, obviously we would not go in the springtime. Like there are times where you do not go into those mines because they're very, well, most people would honestly, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. It's not worth it. You yeah. Absolutely could die. Yeah. You're the one thing that people die from in mines more often than a collapse is just bad air. You get back into these mines with stale air. And especially when there's a lot of wood holding things up in the back of these mines with yeah. the rotting wood that creates, um, a you know, a bad air situation. And, um, uh, you know, if you don't have enough O2, all of a sudden you just drop, you just drop dead. Yeah. And you never even feel, you never even feel like you're about to pass out. You just drop dead. You don't feel it. It just happens. Yeah. So S anyway, speaking specifically about the pain though, yeah, let's go back to what was in the back of that. Well, it, in the very back, there was a mine, uh, a mine shaft, um, that went straight down. It elevator was, an, it was an elevator shaft. Yeah. It was an elevator shaft that went down to the levels below. Fairly certain that um, the level that we were in was the very top, and all the levels below were the ones that we were feeling the air from. That's not true because there were ladders going up as well. Never mind. Yeah. So anyway, so in the very back of this mine, there's this elevator shaft, and you know we look down into the abyss, and there's just absolutely nothing. And so we take a rock, and we throw it down into this elevator shaft, which... You know, being on a hundred year old mine, elevator shaft consisted of a flipping hole. It's a hole that just disappears into the abyss. There's no special it, railing is, around it or anything. Yeah, there is a slant to it. They didn't go straight down. It was like a slide. A slight, a slight, slight slant. Yeah. And the cable, the cable was still there. 
Yeah, cable's still up. there. So yeah, we dropped a rock down there, and well, I don't remember, man. It it, it was a good fell. 30, thirty seconds. Oh, Easy. it fell for like thirty seconds. It was crazy. It, it had to. Have, I don't know how deep that thing was. I think uh, originally, I think Mike said it was twelve hundred, probably twelve hundred feet down. That's just crazy. Deep. You would die. Yeah. There's no, there's no way. Hundred percent. You would. There's no way you wouldn't die. You would be dead. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that all the. I'm trying to remember how many I went into after I went into the Washington. I remember the Washington. Um, I remember the lower level of the Washington. He was, he was a little worried about it. So he decided to go back and check it out first because it had these big blocks of ice that were stuck to the wall. It was really odd. I've never seen anything like it since they were literally stuck to the wall and he was, we could see him wandering left and right around these chunks of ice all the way back. And it obviously, he was worried about it because he was pretty sure there was a lot of wood in the back of it, and there was. The entrance was a bit bigger to this one, and so yeah, there were the ice. There was this the ice blocks hanging. It was so cold in the entrance, which oftentimes that's the case. You walk into the entrance, and immediately it's just it drops 15, 20 degrees. Yeah. And so there's, yeah, there's this solid chunks of ice that he was going around just to get inside the entrance. And of course, in the end, we ended up, we ended up going back there. Um, I don't think we went to that one. No, we, we went, went into the, the second level of the Washington. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't actually go into that level, which I think we didn't go into that level. Um, that was where you lost your sunglasses, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a, I lost my sunglasses on the road. And then there was this ginormous dump truck on tracks that like drove up and like drove right on top of him and on purpose, on purpose, man. <laughs> it wasn't like he was doing his job. He like drove on them on purpose. I hold a grudge against that guy. Those were my Oakley's. <laughs> this dude just drove up on my Oakley's. Which you found. Yeah. I found them broken down the road. But you found know. them, you found them originally too. Yeah, yeah, I found the Oakleys. I don't buy sunglasses, man. I rarely buy the sunglasses. I just find them and then I wear them until they're worn out. I just have a thing for that. Um, always, always wearing the the found sunglasses, no matter how garbage they are. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, is there anything else we want to touch on this episode? Well, I think. Yeah, you know, we, we we had some really crazy, crazy experiences, and we can go on and on. In fact, one of the things that we found with Mike was there was this gentleman. I'm going to run through this story very quickly. Yes. There was this gentleman named Mr. Peterson. Mr. Peterson had three cabins up in this mining area. He had one down in the city. He had one halfway up the mountain, and then he had one up at like 9,000 feet um, one of the highest elevation mines in, um, in the area, in the area, I think even in, it's in, in Canada period. It was like the second highest. The first highest is the one that we've been to, um, out by the ski area. So it's like the second highest elevation mine in, in Canada. And his third cabin was way up there. And he went up and he built that cabin and he started his own little mine. Nobody ever went to that third cabin that was only where he would go and he was mining his own personal mine and well eventually what happened is in the wintertime he would come down and stay in his cat in his house down in the city in the little town well um he ended up coming down and dying 
And so nobody ever knew where that cabin was. And since then, there's been a couple people who have run across it. But overall, nobody knows where it is. And we went searching for it. Including Mike. Mike had found it years before. Yeah, Mike found it years ago before anybody had found it. In fact, when he found it, he came down and he talked to the people at a museum nearby and he actually let them know where it was so they could go and take a look. Mike was one of the original people that actually found this third cabin. So anyway, we went looking for it again. Mike couldn't remember exactly where it was because it had been so many years, but we did find it and it is crazy. It's this I found it. Jeffrey found <laughs> it. It's this tiny little tiny little cabin no bigger than the size of the room we're in right now recording. <laughs> yeah. Very small. Um, he had the walls stuffed with old newspapers. That's how he's tried to insulate it. So like we're pulling out newspapers from the wall from like the thirties. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. And his, his pants are still hanging on the nail inside the cabin. Jar of peanut butter on the cupboard. Everything is still there. And he was because he was planning on coming back in the spring and then he died. And so all of his things are still there. And anyway, that was an incredible experience. But overall, what, what was so crazy about being growing up and working for Mike is Mike taught Jeffrey and I both a very valuable lesson. And that valuable lesson is, um, how to work, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, even when the going is, is tough, how to work and how to be a good capitalist, yeah. which, which, um, which is which is a beautiful thing, right? Um, capitalism is the, you know, it, it's religious. Yeah. You well, you you get what you sow, son. Oh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he he would he would routinely talk about um, being a good steward, you know, of whatever whatever you're given to do. You know, he believes. You know, he was given this land, and the story of how he got his land is a pretty crazy story in and of itself. And someday. Very soon, hopefully, I will be able to interview him um, about his story because his story is just as crazy as just our small amount of time with him has been. Yeah. Um, and he believes, you know, that he obviously was given this land to take care of, and that's part of his, you know, he has to be a good steward of this is what God's given him, and so he's going to take care of it. And it's probably something we all should do. You know, whatever whatever we have, we should be taking care of it. Yeah, so true, Jeffrey. And yeah, we are who we are today because of because of Mike and the things that he taught us. And um, yeah, I'm excited to hear your interviews with with him because he's got a very crazy story. He's got an amazing story that is um, is going to be worth hearing. Yeah, a lot of hardships in his life. Yeah, but the results were pretty insane. Just be just because. Um, just because you have hardships in your life, just because bad things happen to you, doesn't mean that that's where the story ends. Hundred percent. Well, um, uh, we have to go take um, family photos, family Thanksgiving photos. But I was great being on the podcast. I know we were a little all over the place uh, in the beginning, and I guess overall we were just like some of the things we were talking about could be well expanded on. But yeah. anyway, it was a great conversation and I hope we can do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing podcast episode numbers. Oh, really? I don't know. I don't know. I like to do the numbers because 
it lets me know where I was, you know, like numbered is great. Cause like what happens when you get to 1000, that's impressive. When people go that's onto true. your podcast and see 1000 episodes, it's a big deal. We just did. I just did the one with my grandparents and my mom about the flying car. And that was a much shorter episode. That was episode three. So this would be episode four. So how did you record with all of them? Uh, we did a little bit of, um, mic Sh- musical chairs sharing the mics uh, moving them around a bit nice <laughs> <laughs> right on guys thanks for listening uh like subscribe um by this point my website will be up i believe and it should be at um the uh ugh, i think it's what we learned podcast.com yeah right. what we learned podcast.com check it out it's good yeah. stuff and it, this should be on a podcast feed by then but that's where it's being hosted so Right on. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Everybody have a good day.